Hi, you're listening to another sermon from Deep Creek Anglican Church. God helps those that help themselves. Have you used this phrase? Have you had this phrase used to you or against you? It's a common one, although I think more common with generations uh, my age and up. And I have to admit to being uncomfortable about it. To me, the phrase, God helps those that help themselves, uh, at best, it means, well, you never know what God's going to do, so you should probably get out there and make it happen. At worst, it means, hmm, miracles seem to happen to those who have made them happen themselves, so maybe miracles don't really happen. God helps those that help themselves. Or what about, we are his hands and feet. Again, I think it wants to say that we are partners with God and that on the earth we can do things he empowers us to do. But often I also feel uncomfortable about that phrase because it sort of says to me, well, if I am his hands and feet, what does he do? If I was going to do it anyway, is God just distant? Is he inactive in this world? Well, we here at Deep Creek have a vision, and it is to be a place of refreshing faith in Jesus Christ. And underpinning that vision are 12 missional habits or sort of guiding principles. One of those is to be expectant. In contrast to ideas of God helps those that help themselves and uh, we are his hands and feet, one of our principles is that we are expectant for God to act, that God is alive and powerful and interested in our lives and in the world and he is working his plan of salvation out even now. That Jesus is not just an historical figure. Jesus is alive, active, reigning, and powerful to change, intervene, and transform. But there is a danger with being expectant. The danger is... Twofold. At best, we can ignore human solutions, believing that only spiritual things are what God is doing in the world. Our ancestors used to use the word providence. For when God seemed to have provided something through the normal actions of human life and creation, providence, 
But sometimes when we are seeking to be in a spiritual relationship of love with Jesus, expecting him to work and heal and act, we can overlook the things that God has already provided, life and health and safety, freedom to work, leisure to rest, those things that we spoke about at the start of our service in that prayer. You will have, of course, uh, heard the preacher's story of the drowning man. And he's drowning in the ocean and he prays, Lord, save me. And a rowboat comes along and the rower says, hop in, I'll save you. No, he says, I'm waiting for God to save me. Next, a speedboat comes along, jump in, says the driver. I'll save you. No, I'm waiting for God to save me. Finally, a helicopter comes over, the ladder comes down. That would be useless to me. I can't climb a ladder, especially if it isn't tethered at the bottom. There's no chance. Um, But anyway, climb up, we'll save you. No, I'm waiting for God to save me. Well, eventually the man drowns and he gets to heaven and he says, uh, God, I prayed. I asked you to save me. And God says, I sent you a rowboat. I sent you a speedboat. I sent you a helicopter. What more do you want? Now, I did look this up just to make sure I was kind of, you know, getting the structure and the cadence right. And it said (laughs) that someone wrote in 2009 This joke has been told in every church around the globe and yet still the congregations pretend to give a warm chuckle when the preacher trots it out again. So thank you for that and scientifically proven to be the case. So this is one of the weaknesses, I guess, or the risks of being an expectant church. We sometimes miss what God has already provided for us in more natural or human ways. And a greater weakness, of course, is that we can become paralyzed, not able to do anything until we feel we've had a clear revelation or some special miraculous gift from God. We're in a difficult situation, we're drowning, and yet we feel paralysed to act because we are waiting and expectant for God to do something. Both of these issues, missing what God has already provided or being paralysed or passive in our lives, are not what God wants for us in 2023. And they are not the way in which God intends to meet our needs. Now, I wonder if you have been able to articulate to yourself and maybe to God what your needs are in 2023. When you're coming into this year, is there something you can easily say, I wish, if only, 
I need. The book of Ruth is full of need. In fact, it is full of emptiness. Can you be full of emptiness? It is full of emptiness. A woman, Naomi, goes to, uh, is already in need and leaves her home country with her husband and sons and goes to Moab, a neighbouring region. Uh, the Bible says the Moabites were the descendants of Lot. They're sort of cousins, um, at times happy, at times in conflict uh, with the people of Israel. She's already in need, and so she's left and gone to Moab to find food. When she's there, her husband and her sons pass away. The sons' names Marlon and Kilion actually are related to words for weakness and sickness. And so I wonder whether they'd already kind of been behind the eight ball in terms of their health because of the famine in Bethlehem or, uh, because this is real life, whether there was some genetic disorder that both uh, Elimelech and then the boys had, which meant that their lives uh, were shorter than normal. Marlon and Kilion had married Moabite women and uh, Naomi is left empty of husband or sons. And then she says, you may as well go home because you will be empty too to her daughters-in-law. Orpah, uh, which I, I hope you know is where Oprah Winfrey gets her name. Her father misspelt it on the birth certificate. She was supposed to be called Orpah from this. So there you go. Fascinating. If that's the one thing you learned, then I've done a very bad job. Uh, Orpah goes home and Ruth says, I will stay with you. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. This is the first notion that we get that God is going to be doing a filling work through normal human actions. Ruth, the daughter-in-law, is about to become, or is becoming, the uh, answer to Naomi's emptiness. But Naomi, she appreciates it, but I'm not sure that she sees the Lord's hand in that. So she goes back to uh, Bethlehem and she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Names are important in this story and my life has become bitter. But when they arrive, the barley harvest is just beginning. So again, we see in the natural order of things, there is the possibility of provision. Our empty tummies start to grumble because the harvest is abundant. So in chapter 2, if you were here last week, you already know this, um, Naomi sends Ruth out. Ruth goes and works in the barley fields, the wheat fields, and gleans enough grain to bring home. Their tummies are full. And 
she meets someone called Boaz and he says, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. At the end of chapter 2, tummies might be full, but the risk of emptiness rises again. It says, So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. There was not going to be more barley and more wheat to bring home for these two women living together without uh, a male heir or husband or father. The need was significant and it kept rising. What is your need in 2023? What needs to be filled that is empty? One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. The phrase here um, is our English kind of padding out of the Hebrew, uh, which says, I must find a home for you uh, to have rest in. And it's the same language that she used when she was telling Orpah and Ruth to go back so that they might find rest in the home of another husband. Emptiness needed to be filled, but striving needed to find rest. Do you need to find rest? In 2023. Three years ago, when we uh, got our dog Sprocket, I swore that he would not be sleeping on the bed, up on the couch, uh, living (laughs) this indulgent life. I don't know how long that lasted. I remember talking to Dung and Dung told me he had some little stairs for his pup to get up onto the bed and I was like, come on, man, you're so soft. Well, we might be lifting our dog up onto the bed now. Uh, He stayed with Jane for a week in the holidays, slept on her bed. This guy is living the dream. Like, he will put his head on Phil's pillow when Phil is not there. I know, it's a disgrace. Uh, For those of you who who really do discipline and keep your dogs in check, I I salute you. I am (laughs) too soft. But there's something about seeing him just so relaxed and at rest, which is a little bit heartwarming. To know that he feels so secure, that he has nothing to worry about. His bowl is always full. He will always manage to get a pat when he wants it. If he cries at the door, you'll open it and he'll come in, even if he's just been out there for 10 seconds. 
He is so secure and well provided for. I mean, you've seen those videos of uh, rescue dogs that actually the end game is their rest. When they first uh, come to the, you know, shelter or whatever, they're just, they're so anxious. They can't settle. There's nothing. They can't interact with people. They cannot trust. They can't relax or rest. And then when they've had their wonderful transformation and been brought into a loving home, they know the security they have. They can play and jump and then just snore all day long. Well, I tell this because security and provision is actually the definition of rest in the Old Testament. What enables a dog or an animal or any of us to feel at rest is a deep knowledge of our security and our provision. And of course, uh, the, the opposite of that, when you and I feel fearful and anxious, uh, stressed, driven, striving, depressed, all of those things, it's often because we don't know if we are secure in a relationship or in our country, in our community, in our home. Can we pay the mortgage? Will we pass the exam? Or we don't know how we will be provided for unless we keep going and going and going. We long for rest, which is security and provision. And so this is what Naomi longs for Ruth and what she needs for herself through Ruth. So as an expectant believer in Yahweh, although a very sad, bereaved, grieving and bitter one, what does she do? She could wait and see how God is going to uh, put the check under the door or, uh, you know, um, make her win the lottery even though she didn't enter. Well, I think there are two things that we learn from both Naomi and Ruth in terms of partnering with God to find the rest and the fullness that he promises us. The first is to be fully aware of all the solutions that might already be in front of us. If God is king, that's what Elimelech means, my God is king. If God is king, then every single thing on this planet that is good is his gift. And so when Ruth goes and gleans the grain on the edges of the field, she's basically accessing her society's Centrelink and support. She has looked around and said, what is there that is 
at my disposal to meet the needs that I have. In this society, it is law, Deuteronomy 24, for people who own fields to leave grain on the sides, to only go through it once when they're harvesting, in order that people who are poor and in need have a place to go where they can work to receive what they need. And so she does that, and of course she finds grace and grace and grace through Boaz, who gives her more than she expected. She's looked around and she said, these are the things at my disposal. I am going to explore the avenues of solution that are there as a believer, as one who is expectant, but one who is taking action. For us, that might be financial counselling. For us, that might be uh, uh, marriage counselling. For us, that might be retraining whatever it might be, there will be solutions that are around you that God might already have put there. Second, though, is to say, well, how far do I go in creating this life that I need? How much do I push out of all these solutions that there might be, is right and good. Bill Johnson says, if God is not speaking, God has already spoken. If God is not speaking, then God has already spoken. And I believe what we see in chapter 3 is Ruth drilling down into what God has already spoken, not just what she can do to, to get food into the family, but what God has already spoken as his intention for Israelite people. So let's move into this story. You know I've avoided it because um, <clears throat> it makes me go red at certain points. Uh, Naomi says, uh, I want you to go and really... Propose to or proposition? Boaz, it's time. The harvest has finished. You can't just go and get more. Something has to happen. Now, I think what makes a difference here between the solutions that could have been chosen, we see in when Boaz says to Ruth, you could have run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. You could have actually made... Uh, a life for yourself through normal human solutions. You could have found someone to marry, yada, 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 and had a baby. <laughs> but instead what we see here is this kind of, <laughs> this descent into this dark and sort of slightly steamy moment where Ruth is to uh, dress well but probably not like Geordie Shaw sort of going out, you know, to the club. This more like put on your best things, including your outer shawl, so that you're not standing out, uh, but you're still reasonably attractive. Um, go down to the threshing floor, end of the, the harvest, a little bit like office Christmas party, 
you know, a little bit looser than normal. Um, <laughs> maybe with a little bit of schoolies thrown in. I don't know. It's, it's risky, but she's got enough kind of uh, scaffolding there for it not to be too reckless. Uh, Boaz is going to be in a good mood. <clears throat> uh, and so uh, Naomi, and this is where I think Naomi is more in the just do whatever it takes, and Ruth is the I'm going to go with what God has spoken. Naomi says, go and uncover his feet and lie down. We really don't know if it's feet or feet. If you're listening to that online, that was feet in inverted commas, a euphemism for other parts of the lower anatomy, uh, or whether it's actually just this is about a, a kind of a humble position, a supplication. I think we feel, as readers of the narrative, there's some tension there. Romantic. My kid's here, come on. <laughs> anyway, in the middle of the night, something startled the man. She tickled his feet uh, and... Uh, sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> let's get the video off. Uh, he turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. Now, this, I think, you've got this moment where Hollywood... MA kind of whatever could, one thing could lead to another. Ruth says, I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. At this moment, it really moves from this dark, steamy Hollywood to this holy action relying on what God has already said in his word. So she says, you are a guardian redeemer of our family, so spread the corner of your garment over me. That is, marry me. He said to her in chapter 2, May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And now she says, I am taking refuge under the wings of the Lord. Spread the wing of your garment, same word, over me, that you might be the fulfillment of God's word to his people and become the guardian redeemer of our family. Now, Boaz knows what the guardian redeemer is. He says, uh, yes, I am a guardian redeemer of the family, but there is another one more closely related than I. Now, what does that mean? Well, there are two parts to this, and it's uh, basically about family duty. Again, in a society where there is no Centrelink, where there is no um, uh, job keeper, job seeker, and all of these things, if someone is moving into poverty, there is law in Leviticus uh, and Deuteronomy, uh, I think they're both chapter 25, actually, uh, that show the obligation to break the generational poverty cycle 
belongs to family members and starts immediately. So if someone has to sell their property to get out of debt, then the the family have first priority and obligation, family members, even distant, to buy back the land so that it remains in the family. If a family has to sell a member into slavery, a child or themselves, the obligation is on other family members, kinship ties, to buy back that person from slavery. And a slightly more convoluted and very ancient uh, idea was that if a woman died, uh, sorry, if a woman's husband died and the woman did not have a child, an heir by that husband, then it is the husband's family's responsibility to care for that woman. More than that, it is the husband's brother who should marry that woman so that an heir is provided to carry on the name of the dead brother. It seems worlds away from our experience, but when Ruth says to Boaz, you're the kinsman redeemer, then, or guardian redeemer of our family, then she is calling on God's word, God's law, and saying, I'm going to act on this. Will you do so too? Well, he says he will, and, uh, but he needs to check whether the uh, one who is closer in uh, Relation will do it first. So he is a very good and noble man, just as she is a noble woman. And then he um, protects her reputation and says, no one should know that you came to the threshing floor um, in the office Christmas party. They'll they'll start talking. Um, So bring me the shawl that you're wearing and hold it out. And so she does so, holds it out, and he puts a huge amount of barley in it. And some commentators say that uh, if she's carrying it at the front and she comes home sort of in the, in the dark of dawn and Ruth uh, and Naomi actually doesn't say how did it go, she says, who are you? Who are you, my daughter? There's this picture that the emptiness of tummy is going to be filled by a pregnancy to come. I find this story and the actions of Ruth challenging because I do expect God to act in my life. I do expect God to speak in my life. And yet, am I living with the truth that if God is not acting, he might have already acted? And if God is not speaking, he's already spoken? 
Am I remaining passive? Am I missing what God is doing and has done? Is God calling me to act this year so that I might see his provision and fullness through his plans, not my own strength? Well, as we close, I actually want to spend just a little moment with you in quiet to give you that opportunity to think, what do I need? What has God said? And what can I do? Maybe you want to write those things down on your phone, ponder them another time. Maybe you want to get together and talk about them. What do I need? What has God said? What can I do? So let's just spend a moment in quiet and then I'll pray for us. Lord, we acknowledge our need, our need of rest, our need of filling. We acknowledge that you are the God who gives all good things, whose intention is for your children to live in security and provision. We acknowledge that your word has so much to say about a life that aligns itself with your purposes. And so we ask in 2023 that you would bring what you have said to our hearts and minds in whatever way, normal or spiritual, because it's all the same to you. Bring what you have said and give us the courage and energy and people and support so that we can act and do and follow and live. Amen.